Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's The Pullist for the 80th anniversary, our 1960s episode. Wow. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And uh, this is our third of our, theoretically, year-long mm-hmm. series mm-hmm. of 80th anniversary special episodes where we dive into a host of books from across the decade. Mm-hmm. Kind of. I think we're only doing three years span in this episode, just because that was what we picked. But what we've been doing is looking at different books from the time period since normally on Marvel's The Pullist, we talk about the brand new comics. Here, we're digging in, going back. So for this one, we've got a really fun array of books. I want to give a little uh, heads up that we are doing four books for our 1960s episode of This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club with C.B. Sobolski. Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief. Those books are Fantastic Four 48 through 51, which is nice. the Galactus Trilogy and This Man, This Monster. So we were not going to touch them here. We actually won't hit Fantastic Four officially on our list at all in our group of books for the pull list. Mm-hmm. But uh, Synergy. Got, right. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to you know make sure that like we're not doing the same things. Uh, we've got a different mix spanning an array of debuts and key issues for the pull list. But first, I wanted to, you know, what I've been enjoying doing is setting setting the scene, mm. if you will, of the 1960s yeah. in this episode. What was going on at the beginning of the decade for Marvel? So, uh, and, and at this time, pretty much every book was every other month. So you wouldn't get um, you wouldn't get an issue of Fantastic Four every month right. or whatever it was. So. I looked at January and February of 1960 to get a sense of here's what we were publishing at the beginning of the decade. Battle, Gunsmoke Western, Journey into Mystery, number 58, Love Romances, My Own Romance, Patsy and Hetty, Strange Tales, issue number 75, Wyatt Earp, Date with Millie, Kathy, Kid Cult Outlaw, Millie the Model Comics, Patsy Walker, Tales of Suspense, number 10, and Tales to Astonish. Number 10. So at the beginning of the decade, obviously no superheroes yet. You still have a couple of like the anthology sci-fi books, lots of like the teen slash girls books. Got a couple of Westerns in there. But by the end of the episode, I'll tell you what we had in December of 69, because at that point, most titles are monthly and a large chunk of them are like superhero stuff. That was a really interesting thing to look in as we read these six issues that we decided to focus in on. We're just seeing the remnants of, of exactly that, of like the 50s and the stylistic choices, but also those kind of genre stories, little anthology stories and things like that, that kind of were bleeding out as we really like embrace counterculture. Yeah. Chicago, 1968. Hippies. That's a helicopter. Wow, it sounded great. <laughs> yeah. You were a born folio artist. Uh, yeah, F- a fortunate son on the airwaves, you know. <laughs> oh, man. You know, we were talking about what Tucker's saying and, like, the genre books, the remnants of the 50s. The first proper Marvel Universe superhero title of the decade is Fantastic Four number one, mm-hmm. of course, which comes out August 8th, 1961. So... You know, it's not like, boom, the decade, everything changes. It takes a little bit of time. Outside of the pages of the Fantastic Four, Hank Pym is the next superhero to debut. And he comes in the pages of Tales to Astonish with issue number 27 on September 28th, 1961. So it's, you know, pretty quick where he shows up. But 
it's not like Ant-Man yet. It's right. Hank Pym. And in this story, it's really a cool sci-fi story about a guy who creates a, a formula that shrinks him down. He talks to ants. Only afterwards, they're like, you know what? This would be pretty cool if we kept doing this. And we made it like they tweak it a little bit. So they right. take that as the basis. But in that first story, it's not like he's like, I'm the astonishing Ant-Man. Right, right. You know, bing, bang, boom, Fantastic Four, wildly popular. Superheroes are working. It's very clear. Stanley, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, uh, and the entire bullpen, they are cooking. So we then get Incredible Hulk on March 1st, 1962. That's a month after Namor returns in the pages of Fantastic Four. So mm -hmm. you're starting to get new superheroes. You're starting to see them, oh, we already have some from back in the day. Let's start pulling those back. Very exciting stuff. So that's a bit of the beginning of the Marvel Universe, setting up to where we're going to go now with our first book, which is Amazing Fantasy number 15. That's June 5th, 1962. Mm. Landmark issue, of course, is the first appearance of Spider-Man. And it's got a cover by Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. Just classic, really cool. At this point, it's still one of Marvel's anthology books. It had previously been amazing adult fantasy. Mm -hmm. And they, they're saying, okay, we're going to add a feature in here, a new character, Spider-Man. We think this is going to be the hot stuff. So in this issue, there's four stories, all of them written by Stanley, all of them drawn by Steve Ditko. And the, the lead is this Spider-Man story. For the Spider-Man story, we know now that Art Simek was the letterer. Stan Goldberg did the colors. Stan did a lot of like the teen comics art-wise as well. Stan uh, is real good. But I love the first caption in the book. And it is, quote, like costume heroes? Question mark. Confidentially, we in the comic mag business refer to them as, quote, long underwear characters. <laughs> and as you know, they're a dime a dozen. <laughs> it's just so like it's so fun. It's like they're just... Yeah into it they're having fun i gotta say though drives me a little bit nuts they mix hyphenated yep. spider-man yep. and non-hyphenated spider-man in the issue there's really only one instance of the hyphenated yeah. version outside of maybe the cover but definitely on the the first page it says spider-man and like a picture of him mm -hmm. right like really cool creepy image of spider-man by dicko and it says spider-man with a hyphen on the same page, <laughs> they lose the, the hyphen. Yeah. I don't understand what happened. <laughs> it drives me absolutely bananas. At least like where it's like in a newspaper headline in the story, like maybe you could excuse that where it's like, oh, in universe, the people that work at the newspapers haven't figured out yet how to write the name of this new hero that's appeared out of nowhere. But, you know, like maybe that'll cancel some of them out in your brain and be like, okay, yeah. now you only have like 70 others to worry about. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at the cover right now and it says, introducing spider, next line, man. Uh, but let's dive into the story a little bit. First two pages, we see young Peter Parker, his loving aunt and uncle, his mix of trying to be a good person, him getting bullied, which is such a, like a key thing to this mm -hmm. first story. There's this menacing panel where after all the bullying, he's like, I'll show them. Yeah. And like, I love Ditko's art. I love the sense of like, this kid is being pushed to the edge. It right. feels so resonant now. Like, it sucks. You feel bad for this kid. He, he's got this great family life. He's got school. He's great with his teachers. But all the other students are total dirtbags. Yeah. They're just so mean to him. 
I was thinking about it, he could just have easily have been a villain after getting mm. the spider bite had he not had that guidance by Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Yeah. Like they're so important to putting him on that right track. And even then it still takes a big moment for him to make right. sure he sticks to that. He even says later on that he only cares for himself and them and everyone else can hang for all he cares. <laughs> It's brutal. Yeah. By the third page, Peter's already got the spider bite. He's learning about his powers. It's like boom, boom, It was boom, amazing boom. how fast everything started like happening. Yeah. yeah. It's so succinct. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's punchy. It's funny. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, what, one of the things that I really looked at was how first couple pages before the spider bite, he's, uh, you know, it's like weak, meek mm-hmm. Peter Parker. He's very skinny beanpole. But once he gets the powers, Ditko draws them slightly differently. Mm. You know, you see he's got muscles in mm-hmm. his arms. Like, there's that physical change happens so quick, which I thought was so cool. I don't know. I guess I, it's been a while since I read this. I didn't think about that. And speaking of Dicko, I just love Dicko's art. The way yeah. he draws Spider-Man and he sort of refines it over issues, it's so weird. The way he, like, draws him gets to be mm-hmm. real creepy. The poses, the way the eyes look, there's, like, of course he's this big, bright superhero, but at the same time he's kind of, like, it might freak you out, yeah. especially the way like he crawls. Yeah, reading these issues because we, we've covered the kind of th- late thirties and forties. We covered the fifties, and you know that was that was so much fun because it was just like, oh wow, this is what this is what where it all started. This is where the modern Marvel comics all started with these issues. So when I was reading, I was kind of looking for like just had in the back of my mind like what is with these characters specifically, because we're kind of looking at some intro issues for some major characters, what is the X factor? What are some of the like big things that like right away that still exist about this character that kind of like made this character different and added just something special that made them, you know, so enduring, you know, 60 years later, whatever it is. And I think for for me with this one, it was, I think Ditko's art specifically, just like, it's like so iconic to this day. But also like a specific story choice, which comes kind of soon after what you're talking about. Not just that like Uncle Ben dies, and it's not just that like, you know, there's this amazing relationship that was built in and this charge and everything. It's that moment where Peter could have stopped the man that kills Uncle Ben. I think that choice specifically is like what makes this one of the best origin stories of all time, what makes this one of the best heroes of all time. It's so small. It's so interesting. But uh, I really think that's like such a crucial difference maker because it just adds so much depth. Yeah, exactly. The realization that Spidey's own selfishness cost him his uncle's life, that choice that you're talking about, changes comics essentially that story is so resonant to readers to this day and of course by the end the last panel we get the quote with great power there must also come great responsibility Mm -hmm. which is the quote it's you know it's not not with great power there comes great responsibility it's one of those like right yeah everybody shorthands it which is fine because it also works but the actual quote is slightly different. Mm-hmm. It's so much in such a short amount of time. As you know, we're, we're talking about it a little earlier. Funny, they tease that Amazing Fantasy would be back with another Spidey story, but this is the last issue. <laughs> um, Spidey returns in Amazing Spider-Man number one on December tenth, nineteen sixty-two. So this one, this what did I say? This comes out June fifth, sixty-two. Mm-hmm. So you got six months. So you imagine wow. like, okay, this hits newsstands probably. 
but just wildly popular. Mm -hmm. And they immediately start to change their plans. They start developing. So it it takes them a little time to get that moving. And because I think there were limits on the number of titles that they could publish at any given time back then, Mm. they sort of had to move things around. So it's really really fascinating. The second story, because there are four stories in here, second story is about an old bell ringer who essentially gets brought to heaven before dying from a volcano explosion. I don't know why I was reading this. I was like, (laughs) this is the old man who rings the bell every day. I was like, this is great. Um, The third story, really cool, scary horror story of a criminal who makes the mistake of doing what a mummy tells him to. Right. Uh, has great close-up shots by Ditko of the guy's face mm-hmm. and horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a big page talking about the changes to the format of the book, which we mentioned, has results of a poll uh, that they had posed oh, in a previous yeah, issue yeah. of Amazing Adult Fantasy, which I thought was really neat. Like, Stan, as the editor here, just doing this kind of social media. Right, right. Like, right. engaging with the fans in ways that just... Yeah. Blows everything out of the water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so cool. And the fourth story is so, so good. I loved it. It's a story about Martians and humans and fearful people, and it has a delicious twist. You come for Spider-Man, but it is a full meal of wonderful yeah. comics. Yeah, and that's that's what I was kind of thinking of, where it's just it's a great snapshot of those other kind of genre like horror, or sci-fi, like these other things that you know were so influential and it was really, really interesting going through that and seeing that kind of like flicker out a little bit over over the years but yeah i i totally agree i love all those as well okay my first issue that we're covering is journey into mystery number 83 and this is the first appearance of the mighty thor he is according to the cover the most exciting superhero of all time (laughs) another thing that i was thinking about as as we were going through these issues is like which character was most fully formed right from the start mm. and which character like has changed the most. I think Thor is definitely up there for having changed the most, but it's a little tricky because Thor, maybe not that much. He has this kind of, you know, grand manner of speech and he has Mjolnir, which has the exact inscription that it does to this very day. You know, even his costume is pretty similar but the difference is Dr. Don Blake, which I love. I love that character. This story is pretty funny because then Dr. Don Blake's just like, he's like on vacation. He's in Norway and he is just kind of like hiking. Uh, but then. Why is he hiking? He has a bum leg. Like that's the right. Thing. I know. Like, he's walking dude, with a cane. Take it a little easy. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you're. Why are you climbing into where these caves are? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing, brother? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? It's actually an interesting note, and I wonder if there are, like, depths to that of, like, you know, he walks with a cane, like, he's not full physically, like, fit and powerful, but maybe, you know, he has, like, the mental energy and spirit to, like, go out and do these adventurous things, and, you know, then, like, it's, like, contrasted when he becomes, like, the strongest dude in the world. Anyway... These stone men from Saturn show up, mm-hmm. and uh, they have this really cool spaceship that they kind of drop down in, and they start like lifting trees out of the ground. That is one of my favorite moments. They're like, <laughs> so "Hey, funny. hey, hey! Look, 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 look! Yeah. I'm gonna lift up this tree!" And yeah. the other guy's like, "Watch me! Watch me! Watch me! I'm gonna jump <laughs> off this cliff, and I don't get hurt." Right? It's so fun. Yeah. And Doctor Don, he kind of ventures into this cave, and he gets accidentally trapped, and then in that cave. He finds this magical thing 
Uh, it's a stick. Yeah. (laughs) The best part is he's like, oh no, aliens, I'm going to run into this cave. Oh no, I'm trapped in this cave. (laughs) Oh no, this door somehow opened in this cave. It's a secret chamber. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. And he's like, oh look, a stick. I can use this stick to try to pry open this other door. Yeah. And then when he does it, wah, is the quote. And he... I actually love the art uh, yeah. there yeah. where he transforms. It's so classic Jack Kirby. And I say classic Jack Kirby. Again, this is still super early, especially in the superhero genre it's of these early things. in the superhero genre. But remember, like, Kirby's in his 40s at this point. Right. So, like, he's been working for 20-odd years. You mm-hmm. know, of course, I believe he went into the service and stuff. But, like... Yeah. Still, he's just like come back and like okay, kids comic, yeah, yeah, cigar. yeah. It, but yeah, he transforms and it looks so cool, and he becomes Thor. Uh, and then the transformed Doctor Don Blake, now Thor, uh, lifts the uh, stone that was blocking him into the cave, and he says, "I can lift it as if it were cardboard," <laughs> which is so funny. And then, uh, yeah, he kind of like experiments with Mjolnir and like immediately we have what that is. It's like pretty much exactly as it is today, like throws it super powerful. The interesting thing is that like because we have this like alter ego transformation thing, it's when he thump, thump, thumps it on the ground, he transforms back into Dr. Don. And Donald Blake was like Thor for... How many years then after this? It was a while. So like through the seventies, might yeah. I, I don't remember when he stopped. Yeah. So essentially, Doctor Donald Blake was a persona, a sort of like husk that mm-hmm. Odin creates, and he puts Thor into him, and he doesn't know it. So he sort of like unleashes Don Blake on the world mm-hmm. to find humanity, to find humility, to go through things, and sort of. I think part of like the the silliness that we were talking about, like why are you walking around right on these cliffs and stuff? It's just like that. He was probably driven there by this like sense that this is where he needs to go right. to get Mjolnir to unlock the Thor of it all. Right at some point, I don't remember when, but they split. Donald Blake actually becomes right. his own person. Right. He's like a sentient being of his own. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So part three or act three which is Thor the Mighty strikes back from, like, one panel to the next. It goes from, like, Dr. Don is, like, swinging his hammer around and, like, experimenting with, like, his new powers to, like, literally the next panel is just, like, giant dragon. And and it just goes insane from there. It's it's so cool. It's like, hey, we've got this 3D technology, like the uh, projection technology (laughs) to make the humans think we got a giant dragon. Right. Yeah, I, I love it so much because that's like a reveal at the bottom of the page and you you kind of like turn the page and you see the next panel where it's like you see that it's kind of just a vision. Then there's kind of this like really incredible like action sequences then after with like this is the Thor that we know and love. Even just visually with like the arms and the like blonde hair, the helmet, the like sculpted jaw, you know. Mm-hmm. And I love the kind of the like motion blurry kind of swinging of the hammer and everything. And there's like what I saw as kind of a predecessor to um, what's his butt? The giant classic Thor. 
metal giant metal villain. Mangog? No, 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 no. no. He's Destroyer? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's like this giant robotic. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, like kind the, of, he's like the final boss. Yeah. Thing that yeah. the Stone Men have. Yeah. Um, Go get him. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thor beats him up like in seconds. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where we, we finish off. It's really, really interesting. Do we know how many issues then of Journey into Mystery Thor went after this? Because unlike, you know, uh, Amazing Fantasy, this one um, continued as kind of the Thor book for a little while. Yeah. So Journey into Mystery goes for a a couple more years. Mm -hmm. It changes over to Thor with issue uh, 126 in uh, January 4th. 1966. Oh, okay. I have a very detailed spreadsheet yeah, yeah. uh, about all this stuff. It has a big Hercules fight on that first issue of Thor. Mm. Very iconic cover. What's not in this issue, but they start in the Thor Journey to Mystery Stories, is a backup feature, Tales of Asgard, right. which are awesome. Yeah. They're so cool. It's Stan and Jack doing relatively non-Thor stories about Asgardian myths, the Norse myths. So you get like all the creation stuff. You get... Ymir, you get Surtur, mm-hmm. you get all of Thor's, so most of Thor's supporting cast actually appearing first in Journey into Mystery. Right. It's awesome. Those yeah. are really cool. We've collected those. You could read those. Uh, a couple of things I just wanted to add about this story. The Stone Men of Saturn are uh, the same race that our favorite Korg is from. Mm-hmm. Uh, Korg has been in the movies, uh, created in the comics by Greg Pak, but from the same group. So it's a really interesting connection from Thor's first appearance. You right. have this race, Korg coming from that group and being such an important part of, you know, kind of Marvel fandom at yeah. this point. Yeah, now. yeah. I love how it all ties yeah, together. Yeah, totally. Kirby's art, so good. There's yeah. one panel of Thor. He's like, oh, I feel so good. I'm like playing with my hammer. I'm going to just sit down for a second. And he lounges. And he's so pretty. He's just like, ah, I feel so good now. And then he changes back to Donald Blake because there's a limitation Mm -hmm. put on him that he can't let go of the hammer for more than 60 seconds or he reverts back, Mm -hmm. which I think is a fascinating, wonderful way to limit the power for this character, but also like put... Something in his way. Right. You know, he's so powerful. It's always the thing is, what is too much? Yeah. And so when you, you have to give them something to overcome yeah. and, and something to get past, uh, which is just fun. Also, the costume. You know, when, when you were talking, I was thinking about how this wasn't like, okay, cool. Here's what Thor is going to be. Here's my 20-page outline for the first two mm-hmm. years of Thor stories. It was just like they're writing the Bible as they go. Right. They yeah. are just putting it down and they're just saying, Sure, he does this. Right. Great, he does that. Right. Okay, I guess he does this. And it's now, 50 years later, like we ascribe to all yeah. the things that they just did because they were doing it. Right, yeah. I love it. Yeah. All right, next up is Tales of Suspense number 39, which came out January 10th, 1963. It is the first appearance of the Iron Man. And look at the cover. Look at it. Like Kirby and Don Heck. He lives, he walks, he conquers. <laughs> and then it's just like, like the arms grabbing the pieces of the suit. It just says, yeah. who, who, who? <laughs> I love it so much. How could you resist? Like if you are someone in 1963 who sees that on a stand, there's no way to not pick that up and yeah. be like, well, I have to read this. I have to yeah. know what happens. Yeah. 
It's so good. There's a giant poster of this cover in in the office that I love to look at. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, plot is by Stanley. Script is by Larry Lieber, who is Stan's brother. Uh, art is by Don Heck. Letters by Art Simek. I will say, rereading this now is a bit dated. Obviously, the story set in Vietnam uh, was very relevant at that time. Mm-hmm. Now, sort of, it doesn't feel the same, but, you know, we scale it up anytime we think about Iron Man's origin, you can sort of change where that happens. Right. War is always happening, unfortunately, yeah. so there's always something to, to drop Tony Stark in right. for this origin. But all the talk of the Reds, all the communism stuff, all the, the depictions of the Viet Cong, mm-hmm. it's a little rough. Yeah. Like, I, I won't lie. It's I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I get it. But the bones of, like, the story structure are so solid. You know, also, great design for the armor. Cool inventions and powers on almost every panel once he gets to that point. It's just mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to do this. It's, it's the same thing we were just talking about with Thor. It's like they're writing the the script, literally writing it for 50 years of comics, mm-hmm. even though they didn't know that they were doing that at the time. It wasn't like this is going to be the story that lasts forever, that influences films and everything. It's just sort of like, cool. Yeah. What if he had transistors that did this thing? And, right. You know, he did this over here, and he jumped up that way. Right. And it's it's so fascinating because, like, reading these, there there is a core part of it. So often is not just conflict of like, here's this good hero, and here are the bad guys that he needs to defeat, but internal conflict as well, like within the hero themselves. And I think again, like that is absolutely it. Just has to be one of the the X factors here where that adds to the richness and the depth of these stories that make them able to survive for so long is because it's not just a, a simplistic tale. Like there's actual, you know, there you, like there's total relatability. There's like, it's such a lesson in like, that's the genius of Stan. That's the genius of these stories and, and like why. And so it's really cool to unlock those little things. Yeah. Yeah. So Lots of fun stuff here. Uh, really well-known origin story, especially at this point. There's really neat. All right. My next issue now is Tales to Astonish number 44. And we chose this one because it is the first appearance of the Wasp, Janet Van Dyne, with really fascinating introduction here. Because essentially what's going down is Hank Pym is sad. Um, I mean, he's sad because his first wife was murdered. It is a great reason to be sad. Um, But what's really interesting, you know, talking about Janet and knowing her eventual rise uh, to being an Avenger and being, you know, like part of the, the central superhero team is that, you know, when we meet her, she just kind of introduced like almost incidentally. And that's something I love. I love like in a story when a character emerges in a way that feels so organic, it's not necessarily a grand entrance or like an auspicious entrance or, or beginning. It's just kind of like someone walks into a room and you're introduced to them. And then like for one reason or another, things happen and you just kind of get to know this person. And then, you know, before we know it, Janet is in the wasp costume in this story. But uh, what I love so much about this story is it's like great mixture of the kind of technology, sci-fi superhero stuff that obviously as a scientist like Henry Pym brings to the game. I thought you were going to say, obviously as a scientist, I can really appreciate. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yes. Uh, But also, again, it's just like 
what we get here is is some incredible jack like monster action at the same time. You know, what was interesting to me is the monster felt very Kirby. Yeah. Uh, some of the technology felt very Kirby. Jack is credited as the artist here, but Don Heck is is the inker right. on this. And to me, it felt like a very heavy Don Heck influence because a lot of there's some you could definitely see Kirby in some of the faces and some of the the poses and stuff, but some of it feels more like Don's work. Right. It doesn't have a, the very distinct Jack Kirby feel to a lot of parts that you see in a like in in that issue of Journey to Mystery. It is Jack Kirby. Yeah. Like there is no mistaking it. Yeah. But I had to go back to the credits to make sure this was a Kirby book a couple of times, mm-hmm. even though I know it is. Right. But it was just like it doesn't it doesn't look like all the all our other Kirby stuff. No, I think you're you're like totally totally right, and I I think you can definitely absolutely feel it. This one also scattered throughout has a prose piece, um, which is again one of those little things that is still definitely around at this point and uh yeah so as we see hank and janet get to know each other and it's very very interesting their dynamic i think there are a couple ways to look at it but at the end of the day seeing that like this character that is kind of presented as like this harmless like he you know just girl and then 10 pages later whatever she's in the wasp costume and she's like going around she's doing just real pivotal like superhero stuff in this story it's not just like her kind of long for the ride it's not hank coming and saving her at every turn like she's really doing a lot here yeah it's it's really really interesting and like she's got a a major emotional personal stake in all this because they murdered her father yeah she's out for vengeance she's like no i'm getting involved in this this is my fight. And yeah. He's like, well, I don't need a <laughs> friend or a sidekick. I'm Hank Pym. Yeah. But one thing that I noticed when I was reading that really made me laugh, here it is, is when Hank uses his growth gas. <laughs> it just made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the juice, brother. Yeah. It's just like, because it's just like <laughs> this like kind of gas that like emanates and swirls around him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just, I love that name, especially anyway, seeing this duo team up and then seeing them like team up with the ants and then like get a gun and then like, kind of like position it. It's kind of like, it's that classic Ant-Man thing. We don't really get the moment where it's like you kind of cut to the wide shot and it's just like, you kind of feel like, Oh, how hilarious this actually is from like, a normal person yeah. view because you're so into the story and that's what's so great about it you're you're so into the action and it feels so urgent and and real cuz you're you're right there with them then we also have this this other story called hunted which takes place in the year 2000 in the year 2000 that's right uh there's essentially it's like a um i love it? this story it's like a patient zero kind of thing right i mean there's a guy who's Carrying the plague, and every, the entire world is after him. When you find out what the plague is, I was like, "Yes, I love it." Yeah, no spoilers. It's yeah. it's on Marvel Unlimited. You should read it. Mm-hmm. One last thing I want to mention about this book is that so this is Janet's first appearance, and this is I believe four four months before Janet and Hank help form the Avengers. Right. So like she shows up, she names the team. Yeah. She's such a pivotal part in the creation of our 
top team. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, up next is Strange Tales, issue number 110, which came out April 9th, 1963. This issue has the first appearance of Doctor Strange, but he's not even mentioned on the cover. (laughs) Instead, the cover is dedicated to the title's main star at the time, Human Torch, and the epic villains, The Wizard and Paste Pot Pete. Paste Pot Pete, man. He makes me laugh so much. I love Paste Pot Pete. He's since gone on to be called the Trapster, but come on. It's Paste Pot Pete yeah. for life. Yeah. So good. The uh, scariest villain yeah. in history. He's literally got like a paint can full yeah. of paste. Yeah. And he's like, well, this is what I'm doing. I've got control of it with like my vacuum thing. Like even knowing that that's what his thing was, like reading, I was still like, this is the thing. Like he's like just gunning people down with like glue. And it, the best part is... <laughs> Again, they were just like, you know what? We're going to do whatever we want. So at one point, he breaks the wizard out of jail by shooting the jail cell with the paste mm-hmm. and then sucking it back in, right. pulling the the bars off the wall. Right. Great. <laughs> I love Paste Poppy. Yeah. So much fun. He's got a ridiculous costume, too. <laughs> but the thing about Strange Tales at the time was Fantastic Four is so popular. Human Torch, mm. being the youngest member of the team, oh, right. is so popular, he gets his own title mm-hmm. in the pages of Strange Tales. So he's starring in a second book right. at this point because kids wanted more of the teenage hero mm-hmm. who set himself on fire and flies around on fire. It's so cool. Right. Everybody loves him. So that's why this is a Human Torch book, essentially. This story, super fun with bickering villains and Torch doing all that balancing stuff. But we're here because of Doctor Strange, master of black magic. Yeah, this one is so interesting, especially because it's like it's like a six-page story or something. Yeah. It's so short. Yeah. It's really awesome. doesn't even get the cover. Right. It's like all the other backup stories. Right, right. It, it, it pretend, they were just like, well, let's see if this works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll give this one a try. It's so good, though. It's so good. It's so gnarly. Of course, Stanley, Steve Ditko... From the start, you can tell it is different. Yeah. Creepy. I so agree. Weird. The shapes, the shadows, Dicko's art. You could tell, like, this is what he wanted yeah. to do. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, the moment that he astral projects is so cool. And, like, that's exactly what my thought is what you said. You're just like, oh, this is different. This is something special. Yeah. Yeah. And all, like, the other books we've talked about so far are first appearances and or- also, like, origin stories. Yeah. This is not like that. Mm -hmm. This is, yes, it's the first appearance, but it's not an origin story. It's Doctor Strange as a powerful magician helping a stranger who's having these sinister dreams. It's this guy goes to Strange knowing about Strange, knowing that there's something about this guy. And so it already posits that Strange has been doing his thing, has been establishing himself. And so what we get from this story is uh, we meet Doctor Strange, we meet Wong, we meet the Ancient One, we see the mm-hmm. Eye of Agamotto, even though it's not named. And of course, the villain in here is Nightmare, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, we've talked about recently yeah. on regular episodes of Marvel's The Pull List. I love Nightmare. I think it's a cool design, especially when you see him here in Ditko's art with the shadows. He looks extra creepy. He mm-hmm. looks very sinister. He looks really weird. And it's cool because in this issue, he's so powerful and dangerous dr strange has to run away he can't right right, like he can't just straight up beat him they've been enemies for a while Mm -hmm. but he has to leave (laughs) like he just can't fight a one-on-one very easily yeah so it's really cool moody art 
very creepy, cool lettering. Wonderful, weird-looking hero. And it's another thing. Doctor Strange, he's older. He's mm-hmm. weirder looking. Like he does not fit the mold yeah. of a traditional superhero. Yeah. It is dope. The story is so good. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I had so much fun reading that. It was like, again, so mind blowing to see all of these different elements packed in six pages or something like that. Just crazy. All right, the last issue we're covering is Avengers number four. Came out January 3rd, 1964. 1964. Okay. Avengers number four, this isn't like the origin, I guess it is the origin of the Avengers in a way, right? But it is, you know, it's not issue number one. And the reason for that is because this is the issue when Captain America joins the Avengers. It's Cap's return. Do we know how long Cap was uh, kind of out of the game before this? This yeah, this is Captain America's return. His first appearance since May 1954. That's so crazy. Yeah, like even knowing like this is like the big return for Cap. Like I still assume like um oh, maybe he like popped up in a few issues here and there for like even in like the months prior. But nope. No, and remember that May 54 is there's like that three month time period right. where atlas was trying superheroes again right so they brought back human torch captain america and submariner yeah. all at the same time namor was the only one that stuck at that point point. and so when we're talking about the lineage of these things because namor had this history with cap in this story he's a crucial crucial part it's unbelievable like i love how much of an enigma Namor is. I love how he is like so good and so bad that he's totally just a rogue. And in that, like he kind of has no rules about him. He just is himself. Um, how do you not fall in love with Namor? I know it's the best, right? It, like it, I, so I preach awesome. it, but it's there. It's yeah. like the further you dig into Namor, like the more complex and interesting and just like enjoyable character you find him to yeah, be. Yeah, totally. Um, so the interesting thing yeah. is, so you remember, Namor comes back in the pages of Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And that's a, you know, a couple years before this issue. Right. And so he comes back, he's a terror, he's you know angry, he's pissed off, whatever. In Avengers, Avengers number one is you know the Avengers forming, it's versus Loki. Mm-hmm. Two, I think, is like problems with the Hulk, Hulk leaves. Right. Three is... Namor and Hulk team up, but they also kind of fight each other. They also fight the Avengers. So it's this like weird whole thing going on. But by the end of three, it's Namor versus the entire Avengers team (laughs) going toe to toe with them and just leaving because he's just so pissed off. He leaves and he just like, he's getting dried out. He's like, I need water. He leaves and he goes and he swims away. And so by the end of it, the Avengers are like, where did he go? (laughs) But it's so important because- he leaves there and it connects you right into this issue where he's just like angrily swimming away being like, oh, humans, the worst. And it's so beautifully intertwined because just like, oh, okay, we want to bring Captain America into the story. We use Namor. Like that's how we get him. That's how we find Captain America. And that's how we start to like thaw him out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like a domino, right? Yeah. Namor's so important for the future of Marvel history yeah. because he finds this block of ice and he gets annoyed with it and he throws it into the ocean and, and he, because he throws it a certain place, yeah. it then you know floats over and the Avengers happen to go past it. Right. But if he didn't do that, right. like 
right. everything shifts. Yeah, yeah. What it, if? Yeah, I mean, that's a great what if story. What if Namor just like threw Cap in the other direction? Right. <laughs> it's like, it's like, are you sorry? He's stuck in the ocean. Yeah, or he thaws out and drowns. <laughs> right, right. Oops. The moment when the Avengers are literally thawing Captain America out, there's a, that amazing moment. It's so impactful. It's so kind of heartbreaking and, and it still again it, it totally hits is like the moment when he kind of comes back to consciousness and like his first words oh. are Bucky look out oh. Oh. you know from decades prior he doesn't understand you know he's kind of been in stasis this but, whole time yeah, it's not decades yeah. it's moments right like two minutes ago yeah. he was watching his best friend sacrifice his life yeah and he is distraught yeah and like Kirby the like the Kirby face, you know, yeah. like that classic Kirby face, anguish, the eyes all like freaked out. Yeah. Dude, like you can't help but get sad for Cap. Yeah, totally. And it's, he's confused. Like he's kind of rampaging for a second. Like the team has to hold him back. They have to try and like get him they, to. They, they like, well, are you the real Cap? And he's <laughs> right. like, well, watch this. And they can't touch him. Right. And he's like, at one point he like flips Giant Man over and Giant right. Man's like, he's a real ball of fire. <laughs> so good. Yeah. It's so tough because like we're bringing so much to this story as readers. And so we're putting so much weight on certain characters. But again, like it, we're not worshiping these characters yet. They're just characters. But nonetheless, these moments still emerge that are now looking back so powerful like the moment when cap kind of finally stands up straight and it's like he's captain america is like if that was in a comic book in 2019 that would be a huge splash page that would be like the like most bone chilling like amazing moment but it's just like this little corner panel here (laughs) but again it's just it's because it's like it was a different thing at the time just i wonder what the exact thought process was there must have just been like an incredible reverence and love for Captain America by this entire creative team. I mean, really, that's what it just comes down to. Well, so there's an editor's note on the first page saying, quote, we sincerely suggest you save this issue. We feel you will treasure it in time to come. <laughs> and there's a box on that first page about how Kirby drew the original Cap story mm-hmm. and uh, is back to draw him now and stands for script was a Captain America story. Mm-hmm. And so and it says, so, quote, the chronicle of comicdom turns full circle, <laughs> reaching a new pinnacle of greatness. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. I love this issue so much. Yeah, and it, it's just so interesting because so much time has passed since those days. Yeah. But you just, you can feel this love for this character because not only do they bring him back, not only bring him into the team, but he instantly becomes like the center point of this story in particular. He instantly has to become the hero that saves not just the day, he saves the rest of the Avengers as well. Again, it's like, I, I don't know, like that note that you read at the beginning where it's like, we think you're going to want to hold on to this. is like amazing because like that's so prophetic. Yeah. Um. So maybe they did have something of an inkling of like how impactful this kind of thing would be. But it is so cool because like the, the team, you know, we're going to call ourselves the Avengers and, and that conversation, that moment where it all kind of finally coalesces and we kind of go off into to the future is the best. Yeah, I think this is one of the most important things in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Like the first three years of comics is great, but this is like this is where it really like they turn it up. Yeah, uh, we got to wrap it up. One uh, I talked about at the beginning, I wanted to just share what we were publishing by the end of mm-hmm. the decade. So December 1969. We had 
Captain America number 123, Iron Man number 23, Kid Cult Outlaw number 143, Mad About Millie, Millie the Model, Sergeant Fury, Submariner, Thor, Where Monsters Dwell, Amazing Spider-Man, Avengers, Chili, Daredevil, Fantastic Four, Incredible Hulk, Ringo Kid, uh, which is a Western book, X-Men, Marvel Superheroes, which was sort of like every issue was different, right. Marvel Tales, which is reprints, My Love, Peter the Little Pest, which is <laughs> another try it a Dennis the Menace type character, yeah. Silver Surfer, and Tower of Shadows. Mm. So it's, you know, those genre books are still going. The teen books, the, the, the girls' books, the Western books are there. Sergeant Fury is kind of our war book, but so many superheroes with their own titles yeah. by the end of the decade. Yeah, yeah. And it only blows out into the 70s. Yeah, it's so amazing. Yeah. Uh, 70s, we will talk about next month. Mm. And uh, we'll be back every week with our regular episode of Marvel's Apollist. Hope you enjoy this. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe. 